how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Todd Berger wouldn't describe himself as a comedy writer, known for It's a Disaster, The Scenesters, and a handful of Smurfs and Kung Fu Panda shorts. Berger's latest film, The Happy Time Murders, has just submitted the screenwriter into a world of writers who write comedy. Fifteen years in the making, the film somewhat follows Berger's idea to remake Keat with puppets. According to the official description, when the puppet casts of an 80s children's TV show begin to get murdered one by one, a disgraced LAPD detective turned private eye puppet takes on the case. The film stars Melissa McCarthy, Elizabeth Banks, and Maya Rudolph, directed by Brian Henson, son of Jim Henson. But The Happy Time Murders is no Muppets movie. In fact, the marketing campaign focuses on the hard R rating just to make sure no parents accidentally take their children to the film. In this interview, we discuss Berger's love for satire and dark comedies, studio gigs versus spec scripts, having multiple irons in the fire, mixed reviews from fans, and how Melissa McCarthy changed the role of Detective Connie Edwards. This interview is also available in the print format on the Creative Screenwriting website, and a portion of the questions come from Editor-in-Chief of the magazine, Jim Sarantinos. I'm a writer who writes comedy. I have a lot of like friends who consider themselves comedy writers that I think they write jokes, you know, like they, they work on TV shows and their job is to write jokes and humorous things. But even, even that, you know, they write for like the tonight show or they take part of round tables where you, you know, uh, even I have taken part of these, you know, a, a lot of major motion pictures have these round tables where they take a draft of the script or they even take the movie that's already been shot and they gather a bunch of comedy writers um, sit in a, in a conference room and watch the movie or read the script and then throw out jokes in humorous situations. But I have, I have some friends who are comedy writers who write jokes, but if I were to tell them, hey, have you ever written a feature? And they're like, oh, God, no. I'm not a writer. Like, I'm not a screenwriter. I, I'm just a comedy writer. So, how do you define your style of comedy? I mean, I love dark comedy. I love satire. To me, you know, all the things I've ever tried to do is the comedy comes not from the characters making jokes, but from the absurd 
historical situations in which characters find themselves, and you, the audience, think it's funny because of this situation or because of what someone said, but it's not the characters trying to be funny. Like, there is that kind of comedy. I always point to that television show Entourage, which was literally nothing but characters joking all the time. Like, characters making fun of each other or making a joke, and then someone else within the show finding it funny. But I don't think I'll ever really do that. Like, all of my comedy writing will always come from some absurd situation that people are put in, and then the characters, not trying to be funny, uh, responding to it. And that's why it's funny. Can you believe this character said that, or can you believe the situation that they're in? And I think there's a big difference, and I think there are a lot of movies. Oftentimes you see movies where a stand-up comedian um, is finally, like, their shot to make a movie. And nothing's wrong with that. Like, for instance, um, Trainwreck with um, Amy Schumer is a movie mm-hmm. where a lot of the humor comes from her being funny, like her making jokes about other people. Um, and it's funny because she's funny in it. But that's, like, not the kind of thing I usually write. But, hey, if it works for you, go for it. So how does Todd Berger decide which project to write next? Well, you know, you have a game plan. Well, for me, like, well, well, first there's the jobs I'm paid for, which is like, you know, because there's, you know, as a writer, you get assignments, which are like, what are they looking for? You know, what they usually it's they have the rights to some old cartoon or an old movie that they're trying to make or some studio executive had an idea and they bring you in and they say, hey, what do you think of this idea? Um and I then try to see if I'm a good fit for it. And, you know, usually my job where I make money is just doing stuff like that. You know, I wrote a, a pass of Where's Waldo for NGM a few years ago, or, or Where's Wally, as they call it in some countries. Um, and, uh, and I just went in and they said, what would you do with Where's Waldo? And I gave my pitch. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. Let's do that. But for myself, um, the, the, the spec as they call it, that I've written, were just like from my own brain, not based on pre-existing material. You know, I like to think of uh, something that's empirical and fun and set in a world that's not really our own, but like slightly different. Um, and, you know, satire is a four-letter word in Hollywood, so it's quite difficult sometimes because I write a lot of scripts. And I even wrote a novel a couple of years ago, which is basically a, a satirical modern-day Western that I don't think anyone will ever want to make as a movie unless I somehow get a gazillion dollars and make it myself. Um, but, I, you know, I try to look at the world that we live in and spin it slightly to satirize some aspect of it, whether it's culture or politics or something, and, uh, and then run from there. So give me an example of a pitch that went fantastically well and one that went horribly wrong. <laughs> Um, let's see. Let me think. Let me think real fast of when it went really. I mean, even, okay. This where's Waldo, right? So I got hired to write where's Waldo, and for years they were trying to make where's Waldo. Like the rights were available, no one could figure out how to crack it. And and they, and and you know they were asking a lot of writers, "Do you have any idea for where's Waldo?" And I came in and I said, uh, "What about this? What about where's Waldo? Is like Raiders of the Lost Ark." But Waldo is not Indiana Jones. Waldo's the lost ark. But Waldo shouldn't be in the movie, you know? Like, the main characters of the movie should be the people looking for Waldo. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. 
And, you know, and I said, why don't you just make Waldo the MacGuffin? Like, Waldo is the thing that everybody's looking for. And you can see him in flashbacks and whatnot, but he's not the main character. Because how do you make a movie called Where's Waldo, where Waldo is the main character? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And that's what we ran with. And maybe one day they'll actually make the movie. Um, but so it, really, well, it, it went really well, uh, taking this thing that should be obvious and then doing the exact opposite of, actually, he's not even going to be in the movie. Uh, and that went really well. Um, okay. Well, I have a picture that kind of went bad. Uh, I was talking to someone about, you know that video game Minecraft? Yeah, I do, yes. Yeah. So I had pitched someone associated with Minecraft. Um, I was like, what about, cause, you know, they're trying to figure out how to make the Minecraft movie. Like, how do you make the Minecraft movie? And I said, okay, what about a movie where uh, there's actually, this is kind of based on a true story, like there's actually terrorists like ISIS members who are using uh, video games to recruit prospective terrorists. And they're using Minecraft to, to recruit like kids in America to become ISIS members. And so uh, the FBI has to go out and recruit the best Minecraft players in the world to go online and defeat the secret ISIS members who are on Minecraft recruiting uh, potential terrorists. And I got kind of a long pause. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, you, you want to take this very popular game series for that's popular with children and turn it into like an FBI ISIS thing operation movie? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, nah, I don't think so. So that didn't but, great. But our national security is at stake. That would exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's loosely based on a real thing because actually there are terrorist organizations that use like World of Warcraft and online uh, games to try to to actually try to recruit people. And uh, so, but apparently that's not what people are looking for for the uh, big budget Minecraft movie. It sounds like a lot of these backstories you mentioned are opposing forces or some kind of juxtaposition with the dark comedy. I read that this was 15 years in the making. What was the original idea for this story? I mean, the original idea is pretty similar to the movie you're going to see. Like, we, you know, at the time, our big inspiration, you know, D. Austin Robertson, who created the story and the characters with me, like, we were sitting around 15 years ago, and we're like, we had done this short film in college that had puppets in it, and we had had success with that, and we're like, why don't we come up with a feature idea? And we loved the three big inspirations for us were we loved to frame Roger Rabbit, right? As, a, as kids, we're like, oh, a world with, with cartoons, coexisting, it's a mystery. We loved Meet the Feebles, the Peter Jackson cult classic that's a, a R-rated spin on uh, the Muppets. And uh, and then we all, at the time, I, I was really into the movie Training Day because I just moved to Los Angeles and I loved like this gritty R-rated look at cops you know, on this tough streets of Los Angeles. And so we were just talking about, well, how could we take, how could we take this world, a world where puppets and humans coexist with each other? And it's not, it's not like the main characters of the movie are the only puppets that exist, but puppets are everywhere. The puppets are in every city. Like you can go to Pittsburgh and they're going to be puppets. You can go to New York and they're going to be puppets. But let's, what about a, a story set in Los Angeles um, because that's where we were living. And at, at first we're like, we'll just go shoot this ourselves for no money. Um, so we set it in Los Angeles, uh, inspired by all of these things that we love and wanting to take the idea that 
what if puppets really did exist in our world? Like, would they be a subclass? Like, would they, would they be oppressed? You know, like, how would we interact with them? And if there was a puppet cop, um, you know, the first puppet ever on the police force, how would he be dealing with that? And especially if he had screwed up so bad that he was no longer on the police force and now no puppets are allowed to be cops in the society um, because of a mistake he made. And we, we wanted to approach it from this idea of like, what is a world like where puppets and humans coexist and like are puppets, um, you know, given different chances. And so we kind of took that and then, and, and wanted to run with this like super fun, twisty, noirish murder mystery story um, that actually is really more of a character. Like, when you see the movie, you, it's way more of like a character piece um, about, in a throwback to, to, you know, Philip Marlowe novels about a detective thrown into a case that's personally affecting him and what it has to do with his past and who he can trust and basically do it with puppets and a puppet a uh, private detective who's an ex-cop who has to team up with his um, ex-partner uh, who is a human, uh, played by Melissa McCarthy in the movie. But anyway, um, but yeah, so that was our original intention that we set out uh, 15 years ago. And the premise of the movie, the plot of the movie that you're going to see in theaters this Friday is pretty much the same. Like, I recently had went back and looked at the first draft, and it, it's shockingly similar. Like, of course, the movie has changed over the years. We've developed up, we've made characters deeper and the relationships deeper, and we've changed certain things here and there. But pretty much like the movie that we came up with 15 years ago and set out to make is, is the movie you're going to see. And I think it's pretty exciting. Uh, well, so is it mainly an issue of timing? I mean, did you, I would imagine you might have received some pushback from, you know, those people who are kind of purists and didn't want to see a hard R puppet movie. Did that, do you kind of experience any of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, going online, like the day the trailer came out, just like going online, you've got a lot of people who are like, oh, my God, this is hilarious. But then you've got a lot of people saying like, oh, you know, my childhood has been ruined. How could you take this thing that I loved as a child and you ruined it? Um, which, you know, I was totally expecting people to say. And even, you know, talk, Brian Henson has been totally expecting people to say that. Um, and, you know, I... I First, I do think people are often just say things to be a bit overdramatic. I don't think the trailer for Happy Time Murders has actually ruined anyone's childhood. And if it did, I think you've got some more things going on in your life uh, you should probably look at. But another thing is, like, um, you know, this is not the Muppets. This is not the Sesame Street characters. Um, there was actually a lawsuit that settled that. Um you know, these puppets were created by the, the Henson Company, which is the company that created the Muppets, um, but they're not the Muppets. You know, Kermit the Frog and the Piggy are not in this movie um, getting murdered. And this idea that puppets are only for children is something that, like, I just don't agree with, you know? It's, you know, it's like saying, well, animation is only for children. So what, are we not allowed to make animated movies geared for adults? Because, like, what if there's a a writer, director, or animators out there who want to make a, a, an animated movie that is not necessarily for children. And same with puppets. Uh, like, if you want to go out and make a Team America or a TED, um, then, or Avenue Q, or something where you use puppets uh, to tell adult entertainment, then, like, go for it. Because there's no law that says, you know, puppets are only for kids. And 
and people who think habitat murders is like destroying your childhood or taking something they loved and and um, destroying it. Like, well, watch the movie. Like, watch the movie and see what you think. And like, and if you come out of the movie and you're like, this destroyed my childhood, then that's fair. Um, but you might have something else going on that you need to look at. I've read that there are uh, over 100 puppets in the film with 40 original puppets created. How are these descriptions, like, how do you describe a puppet that might be different from how you describe a character? Is there any differences? And, like, do you describe color and look and things like that? Yeah, so when we wrote the script, um, you know, all the main character puppets we described. Like, we, the main character, Phil Phillips, was, a, like, a blue, three-foot-tall blue guy. And we, we gave accurate descriptions of what all of we thought the the main characters look like. And then, you know, the puppeteer, the, the Jim Henson creature shop, like they went in and they made those puppets. Like they tweaked some of them slightly. Um, one of them in particular, this, this character named Goofer, um, who's kind of like a sugar addict puppet. Um, he's the one, he's actually the one in the trailer who offers to um, offer sexual services to Melissa McCarthy. When we in the in our original script, we imagined Goofer was like this giant, um, like grimace, like from McDonald's, you know, the big purple guy from McDonald's. Like he was like a big giant character, but then we kind of changed him up to make him a little like scruffy little guy because uh, it worked better. Um, but the Henson Creature Shop, they were like very respectful of like what our original vision was um, for the movie or for the characters and. Which was great because, like, I've worked in animation before where you'll describe a character in the script and then the animators just immediately throw out the script because they're like, oh, that's cute that you suggested that pod, but we're going to create the character to look however we want. But the Henson Company, like, really, you know, believed in what we were trying to do and, and ran with it. And then for all of the main character puppets. And then all of the side characters were actually already created because the Henson Company uh, and Brian Henson have been doing this show, this improv show for years called Puppet Up. And they had created all of these puppets, um, like a little bulldog wearing a diaper and like little hot dogs and all of these things for this improv show. And so when we were developing Happy Time Murders, uh, at one point we sat in this big conference room and they, and they put up pictures of all of these puppets that they had. And they said, well, let's go through the script and decide where all of these puppets, where we can use all of these puppets. So if there's a scene at a diner and the two main characters are having a conversation, what's going on in the background? Would it be funny if, like, the little cat puppet is having lunch with a little dog puppet? Or, or what if the, the, the cook at the restaurant is a hot dog? Like, would that be funny or is that weird? And we were able to fill the world with all of these puppets that the, the Jim Henson Creature Shop had already created and just threw in there because they'd never been used before. And that was awesome like, to be able to just go through the script and like plug in all these sweet puppets that they had already made. I know that there's some underwater scenes and some smoking scenes. Is there anything completely new to the puppet world? Like I imagine cigarettes are new. Anything that was a major challenge for the for the team to create? Oh, well, there's, there's a lot of, um, like, you know, you will see the bull puppets. You know, there are, there are many scenes with puppets walking and fighting, and there is some CG involved. Like, they, they did it as much practical as possible, but, like, just like in, you know, the Muppet movie, when you saw Kermit the Frog riding a bike, and you and you saw his legs, and you were like, whoa, what? <laughs> there are some scenes in Happy Time Murders that now, um, 
using modern technology. You, you see full puppets doing stuff that you're not going to expect seeing full puppets do. And I think it's, uh, people are going to be delighted, hopefully, or they'll be terrified. Who knows? I want to talk about the development uh, process here. So there are two story by credits, one D. Austin uh, Robertson and yourself. Talk about how you work together with D to develop the story and then how you transition that over into you writing the screenplay solo. Yeah, sure. So, you know, D and I sat down and we kind of like probably at a bar uh, and we just kind of talked through the plot of like, well, what do we think should happen? Kind of like beat it out the, a beat sheet of, you know, who are the characters and what happens in this movie? Um, and, you know, we created like a very, like a two page outline of what um, was going to happen and who kind of the main characters were. And then when I wrote the first draft, I actually, I asked D, I was like, Hey, come be my bounce board for me. Come, I, it, I, I got a hotel room. I was like, let's just crank this. I'm going to crank this draft out. And we got a, we got the cheapest hotel room we could find, which is in uh, like by LAX airport in Los Angeles. It was 29 or $39 a night. It was not a very nice hotel. And I sat at the laptop and I just kind of wrote um, and I would say out loud, like an old school, like a 1930s movie or something. I'd be like, hey, you know, interior office day. We open on the thing and I would just kind of talk out loud and I would say all the dialogue and I was just writing the script. And I would and, and occasionally I would look to Dee and be like, hey, what do you think of this or what do you think of that? And he'd be like, yeah. And he was there in the room helping me like bounce ideas. And it was great. Um, which is much like I've heard the uh, Wes Anderson Owen Wilson relationship is sometimes, or Wes Anderson and a lot of people. But um, but it was great having him there. And then so you know I did the draft of the script, and then I alone did a bunch of rewrites on it, and then I would send it to him just for like notes and feedback because at the time, um, we were going to make it ourselves, and you know. I was going to write the script and then D was going to direct it back when we originally were going to do this for no money. And so D and I had the relationship of the writer and the director, you know, and if you've ever developed a script with the director, like the director is sitting there thinking, throwing out visual ideas and thinking of directorial approaches, but not necessarily writing dialogue or like figuring out how scenes are going to work. Their job is something different. And so that was kind of our relationship at the beginning. And then as the years went by and we realized, oh, we can't really make this on our own because we can't find the money. Um, and we ended up uh, hooking up with the Henson company. Um, Dee then stepped out of the director role because Ryan Henson wanted to direct the movie. And then Dee took on an executive producer role. And so I was then developing the script with Brian, Brian stepping into the director director position of thinking of it visually and story from his point of view. But then I also still had D um, at my side and I was able to send D drafts of the script and talk to D about certain things. And because he was now a producer on the movie and he was able to look at it as, from a creative producer uh, role, which was great. Um, and so, yeah, it was an interesting process for me as a writer. Cause you know, normally I write totally by myself and I don't include anyone. Um, but in that capacity, like knowing that eventually you, if you get a director attached, you're going to have to work hand in hand with the director and go through the script. 
you know, because that was DNI's intention from the beginning, I had D there in that capacity. So it was like super helpful to create the the world and like the vision. Um, and and yeah, I think it worked that way. Yeah, the perfect collaboration. Yeah. Um, so I, I read a draft from 2008, and I actually thought it was vastly different, tonally uh, and and uh, <laughs> dialogue wise. So you got a screenplay, um, you got it to a certain level and then you took it out. Was Melissa McCarthy the first person that signed on? And if so, how did that change the whole flavor of the script? Oh, yeah. No, so, you know, the original script was definitely, you know, they went out to actors over the years and they were trying to get financing over the years and it just never worked out, oftentimes because, they would send it to actors who would read it and they would want to play the puppet. They would be like, well, I want to be Phil Phillips. And, and, you know, the Henson company would have to explain, well, that's not how we do things actually. Like the puppets are played by puppeteers. So um, it's not animation where you can just record a voice. So the, when uh, in 2017, early 2017, when Melissa McCarthy came on board, she definitely brought to it, she showed up and she brought to it her spirit and her, her improv, um, you know, spirit of, of the, the school that she comes from of like, we're going to show up and we're going to like riff and she and the puppeteers. Cause you know, my original script and if I had directed it, I was going to be like, no, you say the lines that I wrote, you know, but there is a, a comedic approach to making a movie of actually we're going to, we're going to do a bunch of improv and we're going to play with it. And Melissa, when Melissa came on board, she um, she definitely because the last draft I wrote, you know, before she came on board, her character was a man, and her character was definitely more of the straight man, you know, reacting to this crazy world. But when Melissa came on board, she of course took the character and made it a woman, um, and then also made it more in her voice of the kind of character she plays. And when I first saw the the very first cut of the movie, you know, way long ago, like the very first screening, my first thought was like, oh, wow, this is not, like, if you would ask me what my vision for the movie was 15 years ago, like, this isn't exactly it. But this movie is way funnier. Like, this movie is fun. Like, she's really funny in it. And the jokes are really funny and her interactions with the puppets are funny, really funny and way funnier than anything I would have ever imagined because, I would have approached it from a like super straight, you know, like, Oh, we're going to shoot the movie super straight and we're going to make everyone play it really straight. And that's why it's going to be funny, which is an approach you could take, but the approach they did take is really funny. And I, I think it's great. Um, and, and basically just like, how can we take this new comedic approach of, you know, riffing and improv and bring it into a puppet movie, which is really hard because making a movie with puppets is very precise because you need to um, know where everyone's standing and the puppeteers are looking at monitors and the left arm of a puppet is controlled by one person, but the right arm is controlled by a completely different person. So uh, literally they call them the right hand. So it's, it's hard because it's very technical, but uh, I think they really pulled it off and I think it's pretty fun. So the tonality kind of changed. It seems like it was always a narrated comedy. Were there any scenes that were just ended up on the cutting room floor that were deemed not suitable for puppets? 
The only thing that we really cut out because I mean, even you know, even if there's too much crazy sex or violence, like it's puppets. So I don't even know how extreme you could get and make it like I don't know how we could ever get an NC-17 because they're puppets, right? But there was one scene at one point that we had in the script where um, Melissa McCarthy's character, Detective Edwards, goes to, to a bar to interrogate someone, and there's a bartender, and the bartender's a puppet who has a singing puppet penis, and the, the penis won't stop singing, and it's, like, really interrupting their conversation. And she's like, can you tell your penis to please be quiet? And he's like, look, my penis does what he wants. He likes to sing. But really, this just opened up more of a question. Like, we had a big meeting about it. We're like, wait, does that mean the puppet penis is a completely separate sentient being that, like, has his own thoughts and emotions? Or is the puppet penis merely an extension of the puppet bartender. Um, how does that, and really it was just like an ethical question of like what it means to have a separate puppet penis with its own like little eyes and nose and mouth that likes to sing. Cause that's weird. And so really less because it was too raunchy and more just because we, we didn't know how to explain it. We're like, let's just not do that. It's a bit too much. So we cut that out. One of the things that has come up is, from Jim Henson into Ted. Uh, how, how do you feel about those parallels? The Jim Henson tone, like this is a movie for adults, like it's a movie not for children. And because they, we wanted to make a movie that was for adults, like they really had to, you know, take the R rating and embrace it. Um, and so... You know, Brian has said before, like, look, he could have made this movie PG-13. Like, you could take the script and do a pass and make it PG-13. And, in fact, at one point over the development process, I did. Like, I, at one company we set it up, I went and I just made it PG-13. But then Brian, after doing all of these Puppet Up shows, was like, you know what? Um, people really re – adults really respond to the uh, the humor – when they know it's for adults and the puppeteers are more comfortable when they know no children are in the room and they don't have to play it safe. And so they can occasionally go blue, but a lot of the humor is not, you know, not all the humor in the movie is just like dick and fart jokes. Like there's a lot going on. And basically they're like, look, if we're going to make the movie R, we really have to make it R so that no one has any inclination to bring their children. And even the ad campaign for the movie, which, you know, I see the ad campaign and I'm like, wow, they're really showing the raunchiest parts of the movie. Um, but I get why they're doing it. It's just to really make it clear this movie is for adults. Please do not pick your children. Because um, you could equally, you could cut a trailer for scenes, for jokes and scenes from the movie that makes it look like uh, it's a new Muppet movie, you know? And you could make it look like, oh, it's just like a cool, fun mystery action movie with puppets in it. But then kids are going to want to go see it. And they're like, well, we really don't want kids to go see this. And we really want adults to be able to go and laugh at this movie without having to freak out because kids are there. And so the, a lot of the jokes in the movie are super raunchy. Um, and they're really playing that up in the ad campaign. And I think it's to keep uh, kids away, which I think is fine. But I think the movie is actually going to surprise a lot of people who go see it because they're, like, ready for – 
you know, puppet sex jokes and they go and they're going to find like, oh, there's actually a lot more going on in this movie. There's actually like characters and plot uh, that I thought this was going to be way more of like a dumb, you know, gross out comedy, but there's actually more going on here. So, or I hope at least that's what people do. Also to make a big budget Hollywood movie, like you have to kind of appeal to audiences, like big audiences and what you think audiences are going to want to see. And, I, I've joked about this before, of like, if I were to make, uh, I would love to just do a remake of, like, Heat or, like, some kind of super, super dark, straightforward movie, but then replace half the characters with puppets. And not even make, like, there are no jokes in the movie at all. It's just like, oh, half the characters are puppets, and that's why it's funny. But I, but most people don't want to see that. Like, I want to see that, and, like, some of my friends want to see that. But most people are like, what is this? Like, why is this funny? Um, most people want to see jokes. Um, and so it's a delicate balance pull off in any big comedy. And um, hopefully people think we pulled it off. So how have sales of our silly stream gone up? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, hopefully they'll go up after people see the movie. And, um, uh, sure. It's been fighting for many years now. Was there ever a, a template or milestone or guidelines or h- how do you go about planning your career for longevity? What I learned very early on was that you always have to have a lot of irons in the fire and you always have to have like the thing that you want to be doing, like that script that you love, that you really want to get made one day. But then also you have to be open to be a working writer who is basically, you know, you're, you're being paid to use your imagination on projects that you often do not care about, you know, like you don't care, but you're going to give it a hundred percent and you're going to give it your all, but you, mm-hmm. you, un- but you understand that like, I, I, I might not even ever see this movie. Like if I didn't know me, like if I didn't know I worked on this, like I might never watch this. And I've worked on things over the years that, like, look, I think this project's cool, and I will give it 100% and give you guys my imagination, and you can pay me for my imaginative ideas. But I don't care. Like, I don't care about this project. You know, like, deep down, whatever. This is a job. And I'm fine with that, you know? And there, it's because I love working in the business where you can get paid. Uh, like, I like being paid to write and use my imagination. Um, there, But I know some writers who are like, well, if I'm going to write and use my imagination, it's only going to be for the passionate things that I care about. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm going to make money doing something completely different. I'm going to make money, you know, in my sales job or being a real estate agent or, you know, delivering pizza. And when I create and use my imagination, um, it's going to be for something I really, really care about. Whereas I'm of the school of, I just like working in the business and I would rather have my day job be working as a writer on all these kinds of projects, especially because you get in the room with people and you meet people who one day might care about that thing you really want to do. And so for me, like I'm always down to, you know, write sex scripts and try to get them made and try to see the things that I really want to get made made. But then I'm also down to like go and take meetings and try to bring my idea and my phone to things um, that other people have going on. And that's how I think I can hopefully keep a long career in the business is by, uh, there's a great movie. There's a great book 
I don't know if you guys have ever talked about it before, but it's writing. It's called Writing Movies for Fun and Profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, by, and, yeah, by Thomas Lennon and Ben Garant. And that was actually really, like, instrumental. Like, I read that book, and I was like, oh, this is great, because they really break down, like, look, you don't have to care about what you're working on. Uh, like, give it 100% and try to do your best. But, like, you don't have to care. Because uh, you remember, you are working for someone else, and this is their baby. And, like, you can do your best, but don't get upset, you know? And and reading that book was really great. Um mm-hmm. And you're really balancing um, the commercial realities with your artistic freedom, and it, that's just the way the world works, and get used to it, and it's not... Absolutely. And like you say, you you, you say, I don't care about it, but I, I don't think that's right, because you also say, I, I'm getting 100%, um, <laughs> yeah. and that's kind of the, the more important aspect of, of the writing, and... Uh, I guess, yeah, you saying, like, I don't care about it is harsh. I guess what I'm saying is um, you have to realize as a writer that there are certain things, there are certain hills you want to die on, you know, and then there are certain hills that you're like, this is not my hill, and I'm not going to die on this hill, and I'm going to do my best, but, like, this is not my thing. And all the, the movies that I've ever written and directed or, you know, my own projects that I've originated, I will fight for. Um, um, and really, you know, want to get behind. But then there are movies where you are just hired as an employee to work on someone else's thing, and you do your best, but in the end, like, you can't get too worked up over if they take your script and they change it, you know? Because it's like, hey, you were just the first writer of three to work in the movie. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and it's funny because, like, I kind of live in two worlds because, like, I'm an indie filmmaker who's written and directed three features and gone to a bunch of film festivals and I'm involved with the Flamdance Film Festival. And when you're in that world, it's people who are, like, artists who don't really, who don't, aren't really interested, like, in the big Hollywood movies that you're working on. Um, because they think it's, it's like, yeah, we're, like, doing, we're artists here. But then, so I could be like, oh, yeah, I just got hired to write the, the new Ninja Turtles movie. And my filmmaker friends, my indie filmmaker friends would be like, so? Big deal. But then I could go to a Hollywood meeting at a big company and say, yeah, I just had a movie premiere at the Austin Film Festival. And they'd be like, yeah, so? Who cares? Like, did it make money? Like, it's just two completely separate universes that often don't intertwine and I'm trying to live in both at the same time and it can be kind of challenging. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.